0: passages for today, and I'm going to talk to you, just stay standing long enough to read a few verses. We're in the fifth in our landmine series, and I'm going to talk to you today about the landmine of the myth of the greener grass. So how's that a landmine? Well, I'm going to show you. We're going to look at a few verses that uh, jump right in the middle of the story of the prodigal son. Now it says in Luke 15, starting at verse 11, Jesus continued, He said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant, or some versions say a far country. And there, what did he do? He squandered all his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But they wouldn't even give him that. When he came to his senses, everybody say, when he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? Father, thank you for your word today, and I thank you that it reaches out and it grabs hearts and it speaks to our souls. And I pray that's what it will do today in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, perk up and listen. You're going to need this tomorrow morning. <laughs> I really enjoyed that music. Wasn't that fun today? That was fun today. You never know what we're going to do when you come to church. We 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 try to avoid ruts, and uh, so anyway, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And we got so many talented musicians, don't we? And I'm very thankful for them. All right, we've been talking about landmines in the walk of faith. Landmines. I want you to understand that landmines in the world of the spirit, in the spiritual arena, are very, very real. Landmines are devices, as most of you know, laid secretly under the ground by an enemy. They are diabolical. They are cruel. Uh, Their whole design and intent is that you don't see them until it's too late. And we think about people who do that, but I'm going to tell you, not just human beings do that. But the enemy of your soul lays landmines under the ground of your life. And he wants you to step on them. And when you do, if you don't see them, if you don't have wisdom about the landmines, the devil lays in your path, they blow up and they maim you and they destroy and they hurt. And sometimes they even kill. And so as a pastor, my calling is to protect the sheep. And so I bring these messages to illuminate us on the danger and the reality of spiritual landmines. Satan plants landmines. Now we've seen in the last few weeks that he plants, for instance, landmines of offense. Uh, He's big on offenses. He wants you to be offended with people and he wants you to be offended with God. And you can be offended with people or you can be offended with God. We talked about those two weeks in a row. Offenses, the landmine of offense. If you miss that. You ought to grab the CDs. It would be well worth your listening to because offenses are one of his favorite tools. Now, we also talked about the landmine of condemnation. The landmine of condemnation, how condemnation can blow up under you and you can live under a cloud of guilt that is not necessary because the blood has covered your sin. But landmines of condemnation. There are people who are not in church today. And I don't know of any names, but I guarantee you it's true who are not here and not in churches other places because they're dealing with condemnation. The devil's got them convinced. You're not worthy to go to church. Who are you to go to church? Who are you to sing? And he condemns. And then there's the landmine of deception we talked about last week. That's a big one. The landmine of deception. Satan lures you into something that is very deceitful. And we shared last time that the landmine of deception is different from the other ones in this way that it has a delayed action trigger to it. That when you first bite the apple of deception, it takes a while for that landmine to go off because you're going to go through that deception and you're going to sow wrongly into the spiritual field of your life. And only once it's really a day late and a dollar short does the landmine go off and you realize, man, I've been deceived and it blows up under your feet blows up down the road, and very real landmine. Now, today's landmine, the myth of the greener grass, operates the same way as the landmine of deception. Uh, In fact, it's the landmine of the myth of the greener grass that took the prodigal son down. It was his undoing. It was the subtle, well-placed landmine of the lure of the greener grass that caused the prodigal son to walk into his dad one day and say, give me my inheritance because the far country is calling to me. I've had it here. I'm ready to move on. Something within this boy, and this happens to church people all the time, something within him had begun to say, anything is better than my father's house. Anything is better than my father's house. He had probably heard of the fun, the wine, the women, the song that were out there while he sat in his boring house and went through the motions of his humdrum existence, doing the same old, same old. And a voice began to talk to him. A voice began to whisper into his soul, anything's better than here. Thoughts like this began to go through his head. Here I am, whiling away my time in this plain vanilla existence when I could be having the time of my life. Like the prodigal son, listen to me carefully, it's the lure of something better over yonder. If I can use a stock show Sunday word. It's the lure of something better over yonder that causes people to throw caution to the wind and head off towards a fool's pursuit. Very real. We spend our energy, we spend our time, and our finances to reach the promised pot at the end of the rainbow, only to find the disillusionment and regret are the only things that greet us there, and sand sifting through our fingers, lured away by the call of the far country. It's when you have to leave the Father's house. There's nothing wrong with trying to better your life. There's nothing wrong with trying to advance yourself make more money, have a better job. That is not what I'm talking about. What Jesus was addressing is when you have to leave the Father's house to get it. That's the difference. If you're walking in the will of God and you're trying to better yourself, there's nothing wrong with that. But when it requires you leaving the Father's house, the Father's will, the Father's purpose for you, the Father's intent for you, when you've got to leave the Father's house, that's when the lure of the far country has succeeded in taking you away. Now, just for the record, let me just tell you a little bit about this story of the prodigal son. I love this parable. It's been called the pearl of the parables of Jesus. If there could be a best of the parables or one for for which Jesus was most known, it's the story of the prodigal son. Charles Dickens, the great author, called it the greatest story ever told. Others have said it's the finest short story in literature if you want to read a great story you ought to read Luke 15 the story of the prodigal son now I believe it has seized the imagination of people everywhere like it has here's why I think it's happened because it nails you and me the way we really are it nails the way we really are it's about an ordinary young man who wanted his independence who wanted his freedom He wanted to do what he wanted to do and not to have to listen to his father and his older brother tell him anymore what was right and what was wrong. Does that ring a bell? You ever known a prodigal? You ever been a prodigal? He wanted to live. He didn't want to live in the father's house anymore. He didn't want to live in the father's love anymore. He decided he had grown beyond it. He wanted to go out and make it on his own using his father's inheritance. And after hitting some very tough times, you read that the prodigal son came to himself and returned to the father. Now let me tell you what this story is not about. It is not about losing your life to alcohol or drugs. It's not just nailing the extreme people who get caught up in alcohol or drugs or some other extreme level of sin and really get out there and self-destruct in a major way. That is not what the story is about. It's broader than that. Let me tell you what the better interpretation of the prodigal son is. We as human beings take the inheritance that God has given to you and me. We take the money. We take the brains. We take the talent. We take the charisma. We take the health. We take our resources. We take the blessings that God has given to us. And here's what we do. We say, God, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. As a matter of fact, I want to live like you don't even exist. I'm going to go out and live my life as if you never existed. I've had it with this church stuff. I've had it with this Bible stuff. I've had it with this prayer stuff. I've had it with all these rules and regulations. I want out of the Father's house. You can be an up-and-outer. You can be a down-and-outer. We take our God-given inheritance and we proceed to live life as if God didn't exist. We try to tell ourselves that God is not paying attention or that there's no price to pay for the way we're living. That's what this story is all about. The prodigal did not expect to hit hard times. He expected to hit better times. Then we finally come to our senses and we come home to God, hopefully. Now let me begin by just looking at how the landmine of the greener grass was planted in this first century bad boy. I want you to watch this now. First, the first thing that hit him was the lure of the far country. Jesus called it the far country, far away, the distant country. Now I want to remind you, I told you last time, that the devil is a master deceiver. I want you to understand that better than you understand almost anything today. The devil is a master deceiver. He holds a Ph.D. in making wrong look right, bad look good, the deadly look promising. He does not approach you in a red suit with a pitchfork and horns and say, boo. He approaches you attractively, persuasively, convincingly, logically, reasonably. His job is to paint sin in the brightest colors, and that's what he does. Nobody's going to wake up in the morning and say, you know, I think today I'll begin destroying my life. Nobody wakes up and says, you know, today I'm going to start drinking alcohol, and, and hopefully one day I'll become an alcoholic. Nobody takes that first snort of cocaine and says, you know what, I hope I'm an addict soon. No, the devil paints sin in the brightest colors. He places rainbows over the darkest undertakings. That's his job. He lures his victims with promises of fulfillment, joy, and reward. If he didn't do that, you'd never bite the bait. But he leaves them with the sands of regret sifting through their trembling fingers. I see it all the time. In what I do, I see the end of the thing and not just the beginning. One of the devil's favorite tactics is to convince the unsuspecting that their lives are really a drag, a boring stew of mediocrity. That's one of his. That's one of his best tactics with you and me. Isn't life a drag? Aren't you just go- you're not having any fun sitting in church? listening to hymns, listening to the Bible, why don't you go out and have some fun? Ask the children of Israel if this isn't his tactic because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that discontent destroyed them. Satan fans the embers of discontent into the fire of disobedience. He convinces us that what we really need today is a change, a new lease on life. We should leave the Father's house and strike out for the far country. Why don't you see what's out there? Why don't you go find out if everything you've been told is really true? Why don't you get out of this boring life and go have some real fun? Now let me tell you what the far country is. The far country is anything, any place, or any condition that lures you out of the Father's house. Now, I'm going to say that again. The far country that Jesus was talking about in this parable, it's any place, it's anything, it's any condition that lures you away from the Father's house, which means His will, His blessing, His purpose, His intent. That's the far country. The far country has a mantra. And here's what the far country always says to you. It's better here than it is where you are. That's the far country's mantra. The far country can be the promise of more money or an exciting new relationship or some kind of sexual fantasy. People are lured away by that kind of thing all the time. You deserve a break today, that little voice says when it's talking to you about the far country. You can almost take the names of the best-known soap operas and put them together to make the devil's case, and I did, and I want you to hear this. Satan says to us, as the world turns, and you're still young and restless, consider that you've only got one life to live while you're still bold and beautiful. Soon the days of our lives will speed by. All your children will grow up, and you will find yourself at General Hospital in need of a guiding light. Should I sell that? I worked on that. Let me tell you, I worked on that. I had to look up all those soap operas. That was depressing enough. For the prodigal son, the prodigal son who began to hear the call of the far country, it was all of those things. He took his financial inheritance, struck out for the empty promise of wine, women, and song. Off he went. Now let me tell you a quick story written by William Clovis Chapel about a village fool. Listen to this. Once upon a time a long time ago, about a hundred years ago, there was a country Christmas. It was Christmas Eve in a small village, and everybody had gathered in the village into the town hall. There was a giant Christmas tree in that town hall, and everyone was festive and merry and singing around the tree. There were presents for everybody under the tree. An old-fashioned Santa Claus was there passing out the presents to everybody. Each person had a present with their name on it. Each person was so happy on this grand Christmas Eve. And there was this village fool. The village fool was waiting, waiting, waiting for his gift. And finally, there was one present left that had no one's name on it. The present must be for me, he thought. It's got to be. This present was the most beautifully wrapped package, and Santa Claus gave it to him. The village fool looked at that golden paper, And the golden ribbon and the golden bells on that package. The village fool saw that the beauty of the wrappings were tremendous and extraordinary, and he gradually opened the present with his heart beating wildly in excitement. He slipped off the bells, slipped off the ribbon, slipped off the paper, and looked inside, and it was empty. The box, so beautifully adorned, was empty. What a cruel joke. But that's the devil. Because the prodigal son is all about people who grab beautifully wrapped packages that are empty. The village fool, he was crushed at the emptiness of the box and being made a fool of again. You know what the devil wants to do with you? Make a fool out of you. Let me tell you something. He wants you to be his fool. And you are the devil's fool when you leave the father's house to get something the father didn't give to you. Because let me tell you, the devil will wrap it, he'll put a bow on it, It'll look incredible. It'll make all kinds of promises. It'll talk to you. It'll lure you. It'll woo you. It'll convince you. And you say, well, if I've got to leave the father's house for just a little while to grab that gift, then I'll leave the father's house. Guarantee you, if the father didn't give it to you, it's not going to make you happy. The story of the prodigal son is all about being the village fool. We think we're going to find happiness in some beautifully wrapped package with the bells and the ribbon and the paper. Like how about that exciting new relationship? Forget that you've got to leave the father's house to become involved in it. God understands. Or we think we're going to find our happiness in that nice bigger house or in a classy new car, or in an incredible trip to some exotic place, or in a higher-paying job with greater status and greater perks. But I guarantee you, if you think you're going to get happiness from those things, you are the village fool. You say, well, how do you know it's not going to make me happy? Because I read the paper, and I watch the news, and I live in this world, and I watch people and I see movie stars, and I see famous people who have more money than they can think to spend. They have satin sheets that they lay down in, but they cannot sleep in those sheets because they have no peace, because they have believed happiness came from them, and it does not. I guarantee you happiness isn't found in a house. That just gives you a bigger place to clean. (laughs) Kathy and I don't want a bigger house. We've been in the same house for 18 years. We don't want a bigger house. Because you're going to have to mop those floors, vacuum that carpet. You're going to have to take care of it. We're happy. We're content. You won't unwrap happiness in a new stereo or a camcorder or a computer or some wonderful vacation somewhere. You will not get happiness out of that. That is an empty package, beautifully wrapped. Happiness is not going to jump out of a Chanel handbag. Just gives you a bigger debt. Those boxes are empty, and many of you, and some of you listening by radio to me right now, you still don't believe that you're not going to get happiness in stuff or things. But you're not. It can't do it. Only one thing can make you shout for joy. Only one thing can give you overwhelming peace. Only one thing can put a skip in your step and a gleam in your eye and a smile on your face and you don't have to snort it, smoke it, drink it, or shoot it. And it is when you say, Jesus, forgive me, and your soul is joined to the soul of God, to the spirit of God, because you are hardwired to walk with God. And until you walk with God, you will be like a stranger in a strange land, looking here, looking there, looking for love in all the wrong places. You won't find it until you rest in Him. The prodigal son didn't believe it either. He believed there was happiness and stuff. But let me tell you what he discovered. He discovered that sin never satisfies. Sin never satisfies. There's pleasure in sin for a season. The Bible tells us that. But the end of it brings death. See, if you are looking for happiness in sin, there's going to be a payday someday. You can't get away from it. There's going to be a payday someday. Someday the sin is going to rise up and bite you. You can't do it. If you have to leave the Father's house to get it, you're never going to find happiness with it. I'm going to say that again. If you've got to leave the Father's house to get it, you will never find happiness with it. As the story progresses with this prodigal son, you see the landmine now starting to explode under his feet. The Bible says, first explosion, kaboom, he lost everything. The Bible says, quote, he wasted his inheritance in riotous living. The word riotous means loud or wild. It implies a life of constant wild parties, loud music, and bright lights. And the Greek word that we translate as wasted, he wasted his inheritance, that word wasted literally means to blow away. Kaboom! You go to the far country, here's the irony, you go to the far country to gain what you think you're missing, but you end up losing everything you have. Guarantee you want to lose everything, go to the far country. You want to lose everything, get out of the father's house. You want to lose everything and wake up with huge regrets, leave the father's house. Second thing he learned as he's sitting there having lost everything, he learned the harsh truth about far country friends. Now, I want you to listen carefully to me. Some of you say, well, you know what, I'm not going to come to Jesus uh, because if I die and go to hell, I'll just be down there with my friends. Can I tell you, that's one of the stupidest, most ignorant things you could ever say to yourself. Who told you you're going to be talking to anybody in hell? Who told you you'd recognize anybody in hell? That is so stupid, ignorant, unlearned, presumptuous. Yeah, I'll just see all my friends in hell. We'll have beer beer bus down there. Watch the cowboys down there. Talk about the old times down there. Not going to happen. Jesus said when the rich man woke up in hell, all he could think about was coming back to tell people not to go there. Jesus said about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into fields to feed the pigs. Now, wait a minute. Where were the friends that helped him spend all his money? Where were they? They're nowhere in the story. He's having to go find somebody and beg them and persuade them and and convince him to hire him so that he can even slop pigs. Where's all those people? Where's all the party animals? Where's all the people that were there when he had money? Where were they in his time of need? Can I tell you the truth? about far country friends. Far country friends are users and losers. If you have a companion in sin, that companion will turn on you at the drop of a hat. You don't make quality friends in the bars. You don't make quality friends outside of Christ. Everybody is seeking their own. And when you get in trouble or you get down, they're not there for you. They weren't there for the prodigal. They're there for the party. Gone when the bills come due. Can I tell you the truth about far country friends? Well, I have made some friends. We're going out and we're having a good time together. I've kind of left church for a while. Those friends will burn you at the drop of a hat. They're not your friends. The prodigal woke up and realized they just weren't that into him. They were fair weather users and losers, not true friends. Fair weather users and losers. They didn't want him, they wanted his. They wanted what he had. And when what he had was gone, they were gone. And that's the way far country friends operate. You want a friend that'll stick closer than a brother. You want a friend who has been through hell and back and loves Jesus with all of his heart or all of her heart and understand the word loyalty and commitment and they don't care if you've got mud on your face or if you're at the top of the world or the bottom of the world. They're still your friend because they walk in the love of God. That's who you want. Oh, it got bad for this boy. He was their fool for the day. He woke up and realized, I've been these people's fool for the day. They're money boy. They're Patsy. I'm too old to mess around with people like that. Amen? Jesus said he began to hurt. He began to hurt. He was so hungry he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but they wouldn't even give him the corn cobs in the pig slot. Kaboom! Lonely, destitute, hungry, and ruined. The landmine of the myth of the greener grass exploded under him. If the grass looks greener on the other side, somebody's having to fertilize it. Somebody's having to water it. Is this happening to you today? Have you awakened in a far country Have you left the Father's house? And you may still be sitting in church. There's all kinds of people sitting in church and they've really left the Father's house even though they're sitting in the house of God. They've left the Father's house in their heart. Being in a church doesn't make you a strong believer any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. We say, well, Pastor, I have done that. In my heart, I've drifted. I've left the father's house, the lure of the far country began to call me, and now I've hooked up with some far country friends, and I'm doing some far country things, and I'm going some far country places. What do I do now? I'll give you some advice from the prodigal son Head home. Head home. It's cowboy day. Let me quote Will Rogers. My favorite saying of Will Rogers, when you find yourself in a hole, first thing you do is stop digging. I love that. I love that. That should be a proverb. The Bible puts it this way, when you find yourself in a hole, repent. But I like it. Stop digging. If you know you're in the far country with far country friends doing far country things and you're slipping away from the father's house, quit digging. Suddenly the father's house didn't look so bad to this boy. Sitting in the pig pen surrounded by slop and grunting filthy pigs. You ever been around people? It was just like being around grunting filthy pigs. You lay down with a dog, you're going to get fleas. Lay down with pigs, you're going to get muddy and dirty. Sitting in the pig pen, surrounded by slop and grunting, filthy pigs, he took a trip down memory lane. He began to remember. He said to himself, Quote, all those farmhands working for my dad, they sit down to three meals a day. And I'm the son. And they won't even give me a corn cob out of pig slop you know what he said there's something wrong with this picture some of you you need to be saying there's something wrong with this picture i'm a child of the king i've been washed in the blood the holy ghost has lived in my heart i know the word of god i've tasted of the powers to come i've worshiped him in beauty and holiness i know the lord he knows me i have been in love with jesus There's something wrong with this picture. This is not what God has for me. This is not His purpose for me. This is not His call on my life. Hey, everybody, I'm trying to talk to us today. We need to return to the Father. I mean, there comes a time where you got to say to yourself, something's wrong with this picture. This isn't right. God's got something better for me, stronger for me, richer for me. This is not my destiny. This is not my future. There's no future in the far country. And the Bible says he got right up. I like that. He got right up and went home to his father. Now, let me tell you how the devil keeps you away, keeps you from doing what I just described as we close now. He says... You go to the Father, and He's going to strike you with lightning. He doesn't want to hear from you. You've messed up too much. He's tired of hearing your old story. He doesn't want to hear it again. You're doomed. He's turned His back on you. He's done with you. Go make the best of what you got. That's not the way Jesus painted it. He said, the Father had binoculars staring down the road. His eye was peeled on the horizon. Longing, hoping, pining for his son. And when he saw the little speck, his boy, walking towards him, Jesus said the father ran. Ran towards him. And what did he do? Scooped him up in his arms, wept on his neck, kissed his forehead, put a ring on his face, a robe on his back. said, it's party time in the Father's house. I'm taking you back home. Come on, everybody. This is the way God is. This is the way God is. The elder brother, now he's another message. Because we got churches full of elder brothers. They don't rejoice at all when a prodigal comes home. Now they don't like to see you. That's another message. The father scooped him up. And he was totally, completely restored to his position. All he had to do was turn. All he had to do was say, something wrong with this picture. This is not God's best for me. I'm going home. Can we stand together? Have you followed false promises of the greener grass? And you know now that it was a ruse, a plot to destroy you, rob you of everything. You're starting to drift from the Father's house a little bit. How many of you can say, I've been there. I know exactly what that feels like. i just share this message with you today because I see this landmine go off in people. And they get down there in the pigsty and the landmine blows up. And they have the hardest time convincing themselves that God would have anything to do with them. But you know how you disarm that landmine? You head home. You head home. I can just picture God right now. He sees some of you way down the road and says, here they come. Here they come. And he's running toward you. I'm going to ask us to bow for a moment of prayer, can we? You say, Pastor Jeff, um, in my heart, there are some ways I've left the Father's house. I'm not trying to point you out. I'm not trying. To, listen, you know me. I'm a restorer. And as I said, I'm a pastor. A pastor watches out for the sheep, protects the sheep. I want you protected from the landmine of the lure of the greener grass. Joy is in the Father's house. Peace is in the Father's house. Your future is in the Father's house. If you say, Pastor Jeff, I'll let you pray for me today because that call of the far country has succeeded on a level with me. And I just want to let the Father scoop me up in His arms today. And I'm not going to receive condemnation, but I'm going to receive His forgiveness and His love. With our heads bowed, if you can say, that's me today, Pastor Jeff, would you slip your hand right up where you are? I want to see you. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Many. I'm going to ask you to slip out from where you are And I'm going to ask you to come down to this altar right now. Listen, don't worry about what anybody thinks. They're not going to be there when you face God. Only He will be there. I want you to come right now and just say, I want to make it right. You may need to come to Him for the very first time in your life. I want you to come.